So we've, we've started a series based on a book uh, by a guy called Francis Chan uh, called Letters to the Church. Now, our Sunday morning messages aren't going to be repeating what Francis Chan says in the book. So if you're coming hoping to get the lazy way of reading the book, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But there's some themes in the book that we're going to just unpack as Activate Groups and people are reading the book over weeks. So yeah, I, I would encourage you, if you want to get the most out of it, to be reading the book as well, not just to what I'm talking about. Hey, Connor, how you doing? Good to see you. <laughs> Woohoo. There's some things we don't want to lose about being in this space, just as a sidetrack. Um, one thing that often happens when you move into a space that has a, a formal sort of structure, like our last place didn't have, is um, one thing that we don't want to lose is the fact that we, we value all people including our children. Um, there's nothing wrong with children making noise in here. Um, just because it's a theatre doesn't mean you've got to be quiet and conform to a behaviour that means that you can't move around, you can't talk, you can't cry. I think it's really important that we don't lose some things. So I think this is an awesome space, but we also don't want to lose what God has been cultivating in our community as well. So, so I love it. As you feel prompted, don't, uh, don't fight the urge to conform um, with, uh, with some things that our culture has. But Awesome. So, Letters to the Church, chapter 2, is titled Sacred. And interestingly, the word sacred is something that we don't really use in our culture that often. It's not a particularly familiar word. And so I've put up here the sort of definition of what sacred is. To be set apart, uh, holy, consecrated, dedicated for a special purpose in a class of its own. However, it doesn't stop there. It's not just special and significant in a class of its own because there is a an intentionality with sacred that says for which a suitable response an appropriate response is reverence respect or admiration honor and esteem so we've got this idea of something being set apart that's special that's really significant but then it doesn't just stay there it actually requires a response Something sacred requires a particular response. So when you decide something is sacred, you're actually not just saying it's special, but I'm going to treat it a particular way as well. So there's two parts to this idea of being sacred, to be set apart, but then responding in this idea of of awe or esteem. The problem is, in our culture, this idea of being sacred isn't really that relevant You have this phrase, nothing is sacred. You would have probably heard people say, nothing is sacred. Sacred is old-fashioned, religious, controlling, authoritarian. We've matured as a society, we've grown up, and can make personal choices of value without being dictated to. We don't need anyone telling us what sacred is. Don't you tell me what sacred is, I'll decide what's important to me, And I'll make that choice for myself. That's the momentum that society has when it verbalizes this idea of sacred, this concept of sacred. And yet the reality is it's not quite that far gone. There's some things in our society that we actually do agree are still sacred. Life is still considered sacred. The idea of taking someone's life is offensive to us. We believe life is sacred and when you take someone's life... You've offended something that is set apart for purpose and should be respected. Yeah? We still all believe that. We still all believe that children should be innocent. 
we still hold on to that as something that's sacred. Their innocence is something that we need to protect. That they're set apart as a child, their innocence is something that we respect and want to um, value. The environment is something that, on the whole, we still have this idea, it is set apart for a purpose, it's precious, and we need to value and respect the environment. Gets a little bit hairier. No, this one, this is my personal one. I actually think toilet paper should be considered sacred, set apart for a purpose and honoured and respected and should always be available in there when you need it. <laughs> for me, this is a personal, personal sacred sort of item. Moving right along. Aspects of our body. On the whole, there's aspects of our body that is still considered sacred. Part of the reason we wear clothes is because some aspects of our body are considered special and set apart for a purpose that, yeah, we, we, we don't just let it all out as such. There's some other things. This one I put a question mark next to. Freedom. We talk about this as being sacred, the value that people have to have freedom. Sometimes that gets challenged. There's aspects that you might be not feeling free and, and able to do what you want. And the next one is getting a little bit hairier. Marriage, sacred, mm, to a lot of people still, it's sacred. It is still sacred to probably, I would say, the majority of, of, of our society. So there's things in our society that actually are acknowledged as sacred, even though we don't like the idea of sacred. We still acknowledge that there's things that are sacred. The challenge is, when it comes to God, He actually declares things sacred as well. And this is where we start to struggle. Because this is where the wrestle internally of I will decide what's sacred, no one's going to tell me what's sacred, starts to become a little bit confronting. Because God says, He is sacred. He is holy. Now, interestingly, I have a lot of sources of information, so I don't know whether it's from the book or not. People can tell me whether it's from the book or other things that I've read. But interestingly, there's nowhere in the Bible that says God is something three times in a row, except for one word, and that's holy. God is holy, 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 right? There's no other word that's used. And, and the way they do holy, holy, holy is a way of emphasising it, bold, larger typeface. They didn't have those facilities in Word back then. So the way of representing something being absolutely, completely defined was to say it three times. And it's only done for God and it's only done with the word holy. Notice that it's not done with the word love. It's not done with any other word other than holy, which is sacred. God is sacred. And all three aspects of God, all, all three characters, all three persons of God are individually acknowledged as sacred. The Father, the Son and the Spirit are all sacred. God has said that. His name is sacred. Wow. God declared his own name 
to be set apart and worthy of worship and respect. The Bible, the Word of God, is sacred. It's set apart and should be respected and honoured and awed. Marriage and sex is sacred. God declared it so. We start going, hang on. He's starting to tell me how I should respond. In my culture, I get to choose how I respond. But if God is saying these things are sacred, he's actually not just saying that they're special, but he's saying there is an appropriate response that goes with it. And we don't like this idea. We go, hang on, am I losing control? Someone else, not just anyone, but God is starting to set, say these things are set apart for a special purpose and you will honour and respect them. We go, hang on a minute, I'm starting to lose a little bit of my traction here. In fact, maybe there's something I feel like there's sacred in me, my rights, my control, that I feel is sacred, that is actually being taken from me. The Sabbath is sacred. What? You're telling me I need to respond a particular way one day a week? You're starting to dictate the terms here now, God. You're starting to tell me how I should live. You're taking my freedom away because you're telling me what's sacred. And this is the one that Francis Chan hangs around in. The church is sacred. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, Do you not know that you, and this is plural use, use, are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys, that's corrupts or defiles, God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So now he's going further than saying he's special. It's okay for God to say he's special and significant and is worthy of, of worship and honour and praise and we get that. But he's actually started to prescribe things that he created, things that he's designed as also being set apart and holy. And this is where we start to have this tension and this clash. And we start to feel like we're losing ground, losing control, losing freedom. And I don't want to specifically talk about this space of church. Read the book. It's a really good chapter on unpacking why and how God sees the church as sacred. But I do want to talk about this wrestle that we have with sacred. Jesus has this wrestle too and there's not many times that Jesus um, flips his lid right there's not a lot of times that you see Jesus like he has some pretty sharp things to say I'm not trying to say that he was soft and wishy-washy he uh, he spoke very clearly and very articulately articulately and called a spade a spade but in terms of actually going bananas there's not very many times he does that but there is when the sacred was violated. So this is what, uh, in, in John 2, starting at uh, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and, and sheep and pigeon, 
and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Zeal for your house will consume me. What on earth drove him to that point of making a whip and actually driving these people out of the temple? Jesus knew what was sacred. And he saw this picture of corruption and defiling of something that God said was sacred. And he said, I'm not having a bar of it. I cannot sit and watch my father's house turned into this mockery of trade, manipulating people into saying that your sacrifice isn't good enough. You're going to have to come and buy my sacrifice. You're going to have to buy something off me to be able to go into the temple and sacrifice it. It it was this industry that they created and manipulated what was sacred into something that, that wasn't meant to be that way. There's another parable that Jesus uses, which I think describes sacred really well. And I think when we look at sacred, we often feel like a three-year-old child having their hand held crossing a road. Do not hold my hand, mum or dad. I can do this on my own. And the parents there lovingly saying, I'm sorry, You need to hold my hand. And the kid tries to pull away and says, I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. And the parent goes, you have no idea what these cars are able to do to you. You have no idea what not looking the right way and understanding what's happening on this street is going to do to you. And the kid says, probably not articulating this way, this kid says, but you're taking my freedom away. And the parent says, no, I'm giving you freedom. If you do not hold my hand, you will lose your freedom. And by holding my hand and acknowledging that this needs to happen this way is actually because I love you and I want freedom for you, not because... I want to control and manipulate you. And so often we're like that three-year-old that says, God, if I acknowledge you as sacred, if I acknowledge these things as sacred, you're taking away my freedom. What if I want to do things instead of the Sabbath? What if church sucks? What if there's things in there I don't like? What if there's people in there that irritate me? What if there's patterns that just don't gel with me? Let me do it my way. Surely, surely sex before marriage is okay. It's not going to kill me, is it? It's not going to be a problem. I plan to get married one day. Surely, surely there's stuff here that's, that's, you know, this is just old-fashioned controlling stuff that, that old people talk about. And God says, no, I love you and I want you to experience true freedom So I need you to hold my hand and acknowledge and respond to the sacred. 
Who knows the parable of the wise and foolish builder? Yeah? Familiar parable. He tells a parable about two builders. One that chooses to build their house on the rock and one that chooses to build their house on the sand. The one on the rock withstands the storms, withstands the wind, withstands the rising, rising water levels. The one on the stand collapses in that circumstance. But Jesus makes it very clear what distinguishes the two. Do you know what distinguishes the two builders? Wisdom. Those who hear my word and put it into practice are like a wise man who builds a house upon a rock. Who hears my words and puts it into practice. It's a beautiful picture of sacred. Because we've acknowledged that sacred is setting something apart and then responding to it in the appropriate way. So when we talk about God's word being sacred, we hear and respond. The other beautiful part of the picture is nobody who built made the rock. They had to trust the rock that was there. And so the beautiful part of that picture is that as smart as the builder is, as clever as he is at building houses and awesome it is, he still needs the rock on which to build. He can't do it on his own. And I love that picture. There's another fantastic picture in, in Samuel of this, of this story. There we go, 1 Samuel 8. And it's a really sad story, but we're living, living out this story in some ways. We're wrestling with this story. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in the ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being, from being king over them. They've rejected the sacred. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the kings who shall reign over them. So we've got this picture of the Israelite people saying, God, you are not good enough. We're not going to elevate you to the place that you deserve and respond to you in that place. We want a human king. And God says to Samuel, who's obviously taking this personally, he says, it's not about you. They're rejecting me. And they've been trying to do this ever since I saved them. I rescued them out of Egypt. They've looked for other gods. They've tried to find sacred somewhere else. 
So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plough his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king who have you chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Sure, make whatever you want sacred. If you want to decide what sacred is, go for it. If you want to make up your own rules and determine your own definition of sacred, that's fine, I'm not going to stop you. God is amazingly gracious. But the consequence will be, you'll be slave to the man. You'll be slave to what you define sacred as. What is it that Jesus said in his dying breath on the cross? He said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. They're putting the sacred up on a cross. They don't understand. We look at this oppressive God who says, I decide what sacred is, not you. And yet the picture is painted very, very clearly and consistently. If you want to define sacred elsewhere, go for it. You will be bound to that. And you will be slave to that. If you want to acknowledge God as sacred, if you want to acknowledge the things that he says is sacred as sacred, you will experience the freedom that comes with that. And this is the beautiful thing about sacred. We have this tension about being trapped, about being told what to do. And yet consistently, time and time and time and time and time again, the boundaries are for us. What does it say about the Sabbath? What does Jesus say about the Sabbath? Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. I didn't tell you you need to take a day, day to rest and to, to worship me because God needs our worship. He said, set it apart because you need it. Everything God has set up as sacred is for us, not for him. He's cool in his own skin. He's comfortable with who he is. He doesn't need to be convinced that he's God. He's okay with that. It's us who benefit. It's us who receive. It's us who walk in freedom when we understand what he wants to set apart. So I just really want to encourage us this morning because this is a tough space. 
This is a space where we clash with our internal mechanisms of being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. In fact, I want to push back whenever I feel like I'm being told what to do. And yet God says, I'm setting these things up as sacred because they're the best thing for you. Hold my hand and let's walk across this road together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, that your character just oozes out of you. You're a God that we acknowledge as part of your sacred, your holiness, that you are like no other. That your wisdom is like no other. That your power is like no other. Lord, you can do whatever you want today and let you choose to use those things in a way that is loving and gracious and merciful and fruitful for our blessing, for our purpose. And Lord, we are sorry that we reject sacred. Lord, we are sorry that we are so flippant with the things that you say are set apart for your purpose. Lord, we are sorry that we do not acknowledge sacred like you have declared it. But Father, we are so, so grateful that you have not given up. We are so grateful that you are gracious. And we are so grateful that you love and desire true freedom for those that acknowledge you and your holiness. So Lord, we come and we we have these ideas, Lord, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to renew us, to refresh us and restore us to that right relationship with you. We ask you, Lord, to break down those places of pride and control that say, I want to be the one that makes these things sacred. And Lord, we just acknowledge that you are the decider of those things. And we love that, Lord God. Lord, it's hard for us to say, but we want to say we value what you declare as sacred. And we ask that you would help us to respond in healthy ways to that which is sacred. In Jesus' name, amen.